Hello and welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is episode 91 and the first of 2021. Yes, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, not quite the new year we'd hoped for here in the UK, but never mind. Yes. The less said about that, the better. Um, so today we're going to be talking about in our first half, places we know um, versus places we don't know. So do we like books set in cities, towns, villages that we're familiar with, countries that we're familiar with maybe, or do we prefer books that take us to places we've never been before? And then the second half, we're going to be comparing two books by Elizabeth von Arnim, um, Father, which is one of the new publications of the British Library Women Writers Series, of which Simon is the series consultant. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and Expiation, which has very recently been republished by Persephone. So, um, first of all, Simon, Happy New Year. What's going on with you? Happy New Year. Yes, I'm excited to see whether this one does better than the Rave Music from your experience with the British Library titles. So, <laughs> hold up yeah. for the second half to find out. But, uh, um, yes, I am in lockdown like everyone else. Uh, but um, it's not that different from what was going on before, I guess. Um, I oh. am reading a book I think that you would really enjoy, actually. Oh. Um, it's called A Jane Austen Education. Oh, I feel, like, I feel like I've vaguely heard of that. Uh, subtitle, How Six Novels Taught Me About Love, Friendship and the Things That Really Matter by mm -hmm. uh, William Derezovich is how I'm going to pronounce Quite it. Quite a man, indeed. Yeah. Is he American? By, by a him? gentleman man. He is an American man. Mm -hmm. um, why do you ask something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like the sort of, uh, it just sounds like an American title. I don't mean that in a um, negative way at all but, even though i made it sound like it was negative it's yeah it's, i think it seems more um a heart on his sleeve than a, than a british man might write in this yeah, title emotion, yes goodness me uh i know it's unusual to read a book um particularly a non-academic book about jane austen by a man um mm. my friend it is actually yeah uh and i'm halfway through my friend marley gave it to me thank you marley um for my yeah. birthday last year and it's, I mean, the subtitle is exactly what it suggests, I guess. He, he's now, I think, actually, I didn't know how old he is, but the, the time he's writing about is his mid twenties when he was in a graduate program at mm, Columbia University, maybe some, some okay. Yale, I forget. Um, as, as an English student where they have to do apparently a six year course as their graduate program. Um, yes. Yeah. It seems very intense and it doesn't, and it doesn't seem to specialize for the first three years so he's just covering all of literature essentially and was very reluctantly reading Jane Austen whom he'd always dismissed along with the 19th century novel in general it seems um, <laughs> he's, he's very self-effacing about this uh, and he started with Emma um, and was converted halfway through Emma um, uh. and it's sort of an autobiography sort of an appraisal um, basically looking at the lessons he can learn for Jane Austen and also how he changed as a person at, at that time um, sorts of stuff about his relationship with his dad and it's uh, there's a slight tendency to do a bit of and this is what Jane Austen means here which you know the the literature student to me always recoils from anyone who claims that anything is a definitive reading but mm. um, but but if I interpret it as, uh, it as what he got from those books then he actually I think has got really interesting things to say about how reading Emma made him realize that he um, judged people too quickly how reading Pride and Prejudice showed him he was too um, firm in his own opinions. How reading Northanger Abbey uh, made him want to ask better questions. All these really interesting things. So, um, 
yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it, and I think I think it would be up your street. Well, that sounds charming. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. So it seemed like a good sort of I don't know. In the first break lockdown, I read Pride and Prejudice, and so <laughs> lockdown just seems to take me to Jane Austen or Jane Austen adjacent. <laughs> Well, we just want to be comforted, don't we? Exactly. Mm. Um, what are you reading? Do you have any reading resolutions for the year? Um, well, reading resolutions-wise, I want to get to the end of the alphabet of my shelves. Of course, yes. Um, I am determined to do that this year. It's going to happen. I mean, I did get as far as L, which I thought was pretty good Nearly going, halfway, actually. Yeah, yeah. Nearly halfway. Um, and I did also read a lot of non-fiction, which, you know aren't on the alphabetized shelves so you know there were also plenty of other books i did get to on my shelves that weren't on that side so you know i think i've done quite well but what i've done is i've piled up the next lot of books on another on my table um and my aim is to try and get through a couple of books um maybe even three books a week if i can nice um because now we're in lockdown again and i'm teaching from home i will have more time to read i hope fingers crossed we'll see um so what am i reading right now well i just finished a book this morning actually that i started reading yesterday so i'm doing quite well on my speed reading um it's a penelope lively um passing on Hmm. which was lent to me by a very dear friend quite a while ago um and i need to give it back to her at some point um and she said how wonderful it was and she was absolutely right it's fantastic um i really like penelope lively um we did what did we do Uh, according to according to mark Yeah. yeah which was really good, and I loved Moon Tiger. Um, it's really, really um, unusual topic for a book, actually. So it's it was written in the 80s, I, it seems to be set at, at that time, and it's about um, a pair of siblings in their late 40s, early 50s, who, out of kind of apathy, really, a lack of, kind of personal motivation, have stayed living with their mother, um, who is one of those people who is incredibly narcissistic and can't see a world outside of her own. And she sort of dominated these, these kids. It doesn't actually seem to be much love between any of them. And they've also got a sister who's younger, a lot younger than them who lives in London with her family. And at the beginning of the book, the mother dies and it's all about what the, the two adults who live at home do after their mother dies, how they cope with it. Um, you know, one of them has an ill-advised love affair. The other one um, have realises things about, you know, himself that he hadn't thought about before. It's, I mean, I can't say a lot because it would ruin the plot because it sort of unfolds gradually, but it's it's fantastic and very emotionally moving, I thought, as well. I mean, you will want to sort of shake the character <laughs> a little bit, but I thought it was fantastic. And what I find quite interesting about Penelope Lively is that she is in some ways quite similar to... Um, Anita Bruckner, I think. Do I mean Anita Bruckner? No. Quite possibly. Anita Shreve, Anita Bruckner? Hotel du Lac. Yeah, Anita Bruckner. Yeah, I'm right. I'm doubting myself. In that she writes books that perhaps feel a little bit old-fashioned even at the time she was writing them, if you see what I mean. But this one, I, I could feel that I believed it in a way that I don't always believe the settings of Anita Bruckner's ones. So yeah, I really loved that. That was really enjoyable. I mean, it's not, it was kind of gently uplifting in some ways. Um, so yeah, and a quick read. And oh, yes. I, I really do, with, I, I don't actually have any Penelope Lively books on my shelves, um, but I would really be interested in reading more of her. So if anyone's got any recommendations, I'd be very happy to hear. Yeah, interesting. I have lots of her books that I've not read, but I do, <laughs> do not have that one apparent, um, 
as far as I'm aware. Well, it's very, I think that you'd really like it. And it's also set in um, Oxfordshire. Ah, nice. Yeah. Yes, I think, well, she, she taught at St Anne's, maybe. Did I make that up? I certainly heard her give a talk at St Anne's, but maybe she was just visiting. Oh, right. I can't remember if I said, I probably said before, I was going to hear a talk and couldn't find it and saw, a, saw a, an older lady and was going to go up and ask if she was going to the Penelope Lively talk and decided not to. And I'm very grateful I did not because she turned out to be Penelope Lively. <laughs> <laughs> but how amazing if you'd spoken to her. It would have been great. But um, instead, I was I did go to the talk and I was in the room with her, but I did not say anything to her. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm quite glad I didn't have to sit through that hour having just asked her if she was going to the talk. Yes, Steve, thank you. <laughs> Um, great, well that's a very good recommendation Sounds like a good reading start to the year Yeah, it was um, So yeah, the first topic was your suggestion So do you want to Give us a little intro to what it is Yeah, so I was thinking you know, Do we enjoy books more When we know the setting Or do we prefer To be thrown into A, a different world And to enjoy exploring a new place And get inspiration for a new place And I was thinking about it because I really love reading books set in London um, and I love knowing exactly where all the places are and I can see them in my head. I also really like reading books set in the past that are set in London because I can see how things have changed and um, like and sometimes I'll go and have a look and I'll be like, oh, okay, so obviously that's gone now and that wasn't there or whatever. But sometimes it's exactly the same and it's, and it's a really lovely experience. Um, and I particularly enjoy Virginia Woolf for that and other Bloomsbury writers because they always set their start their books, you know, in and around Bloomsbury. And mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot of Dorothy L. Sayers lately. Actually, I'm I'm trying to um, get my way through all the unread ones of hers I've got on my shelves. And uh, most of now Harriet Vane is in the in the novels. I've got that far along. Uh, yeah. She. She lives in Doughty Street. She's walking all around these streets, the streets that I walk past on my way to work every day. And it just gives me like a little bit of excitement because I feel like, oh, I'm in the book. Sort of <laughs> That's where Ian um, Delafield's flat was. Oh, really? As well? Mm, yeah. Fun, yeah. As well yeah. as all the many other people who've lived, because it was, yeah, Dickens lived there and um, yeah. Winifred Holtby and Thingy. Yeah, Vera Britain, yeah. Yes, everyone's lived on Doughty Street. Yeah, but, you know, it's a place to be. <laughs> um, but then at the same time, I, I really love reading books that are set in places I've never been to. So, for example, one of my favourite books, as um, as you know, is Illyrian Spring by Ambridge, mm. and that is set on the Dalmatian coast of Italy and Croatia. Um, Croatia I've never been to. I was desperate to go to um, Split, which is where um, the book is set. Um, but just as I was reading that book, I think that was in about five years afterwards, Game of Thrones came out, and that's where they film. Oh. And so that it sort of exploded as a tourist destination. So I think the kind of unspoiled um, coastline that's only visited by adventurous people is is long gone now. And I've I've still not managed to make it over there. I mean, I, I don't think I've been to that part of Italy either. So that book, every time I read it, I just love imagining myself in this beautiful landscape. And it's tinged with a little bit of sadness because I know that most of the stuff she's describing probably isn't like that anymore. Um, there's probably lots of high-rise hotels and such, but mm-hmm. um, it's it gives me a kind of an imagine, imaginary holiday, if you, know, if you know what I mean. And because yeah. I, I don't know the place at all, I'm probably imagining it as being much nicer than it actually is. <laughs> what about you? Um, yes, on, on that, uh, when I went to the North coast of northern ireland a couple of years ago there were all these signs everywhere being like game of thrones country but no specific 
places. <laughs> it was just <laughs> somewhere around here. Um, what I thought would be interesting, just to give context for the listener, for the places that we know best, the places that we've lived, mm. um, if you just quickly mention those before we go on. So I, well, I mean, I was born in Merseyside. I lived in, in the outskirts of St. Helens for my first seven years. I don't know of any books that are set in the outskirts of St. Helens. Um, but then I grew up in a little village in Worcestershire called Eckington. Then I moved to Oxford uh, City, and now I live in a little village in West Oxfordshire. So as you'll you'll imagine, some of those are more featured in literature than others. Um, <laughs> but uh, before I go on, do you want to just quickly say the places that you've lived? It's more than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I grew up in South East London, um, which is featured in plenty of books. Um, and then I went to university in um, just outside of Windsor, um, which is... I don't even know what county it was in, Surrey, I think technically it was on the border of Surrey and Berkshire. Um, and then I have also lived in New York and I've lived in Kent in the countryside. Um, so not that many places. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, mainly in the southeast of England and then one year <laughs> in New York, so not that exciting. Um, yeah, so those are the places that we know, we know best between us. Mm. And yeah, um, I would, I think... Um, I've always found it hard to feel an affinity with the place I'm living in as a city. So when I lived in Oxford, I felt that my house was my home, but I never really felt that attached to Oxford as a city because to oh, my that's in, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, in some ways I love it, but but for me, home has to be a small village, basically, because <laughs> otherwise, like if you don't know half the people there and know every street really well, then I can't quite get my head around the idea of it being your home. Um, so I was in Oxford for 13 years and without any particular affection for it. And now the village, which I'm not going to name that I currently live in because mm-hmm. it's very small. Um, I've, I've only lived here for three years and I feel very attached to it. Um, I will give a clue because we will find out the novelist Mara Edgeworth lived here at one point. So, so it comes up in nonfiction books occasionally about Mara Edgeworth. But, is, uh, is her house still there, Simon? Uh, I haven't been able to identify which one it is. If, if yeah. it is, there's no plaque or anything. Um, so if you, there's a few houses certainly old enough to have been ones that she lived in. Mm. Um, so I don't know much fiction. I can't think of any fiction set in Worcestershire at all, let alone the part of Worcestershire I was from. Um, it's not a, it's not a popular location for novels, I don't think. No, I mean, it's the sort of town (laughs) people sort of drive through, isn't it? Which is a terrible thing to say, but I mean, it is beautiful Worcestershire because I have driven through it many times myself, but I've never stopped there. Yeah, and people never quite know where it is, and mm. yeah, it's um, and lots of it is very bland. But uh, it's got the Malvins, which is lovely. I'm sure there are novels set in the Malvins. I just haven't read them. Um, the nearest I've got is the uh, series of autobiographies that John Moore wrote that have been republished as slightly Fox editions. I've only actually read one of them, but um, it's called Brench and Village, and there's another couple. Brench and Village is. Breeden, which was the village next to mine. Oh, um, how fun! Which was lovely, and I I didn't know that until he talked about the the hill, which I think is called Brentsham Hill. He puts in a poem saying, "When Brentsham Hill puts on its hat, men of the Vale beware of that." Meaning, when it's cloudy, it's going to rain. And I thought, oh, that's funny because we had that verse about Breeden Hill. Um, must be loads of places. Then discovered he was talking about Breeden Hill, and in <laughs> fact, that was only a local, as far as I know, a local expression for for those. Oh wow! There you are, around Breeden Hill which was the hill next to my village and, you know, where my my school was called Breeden Hill Middle School. And, yeah, it was 
the focal point of the area, essentially. So that was very fun. I mean, the, the things he's writing about are many years ago, but I really did enjoy reading about a place I know that intimately. But I think that's the only time that's happened to me, because obviously there's lots of books set in Oxford, mm. but I don't think they've ever been set in the streets I've lived in Oxford. Um, and I don't think I've read that many books set in Oxford, even though there are clearly loads. I was trying to think about this before we started, and I could only think of The Moving Toy Shop by Owen Crispin and Zulika Dobson by Max Beerbohm. And Gordy Knight, you've read that. Oh, of course, I read Gordy Knight. I disliked it so much that I <laughs> put it out of my mind. I did enjoy that one where, where she, because I knew exactly where she placed the, the fictional college, which now yeah. is accommodation for Balliol College, but at the time that she made it up was, I think, either just farm, or not farmland, either just you know, grassland or you know, housing. There wasn't, there's never mm. been a college there. So that was nice to be able to think in my head, oh, I know that exact street. Um, but it's relatively rare for me. And some people who might be listening to this who've heard previous episodes and know that I don't picture things when I'm reading might think, does it does it matter? Can you do anything? What? Well, for people like me who can't, who don't have that sort of mind's eye where they can create things, what we can do is rem- visualize things we have seen. Yeah. So, um, so I can certainly, I can't, you know, animate it. I can't put people in it doing things, but I can. <laughs> I enjoy picturing the places from my memory <laughs> whilst reading so it's subtly different but it does is a significant difference whereas if it's a place i've not been i won't really get any visual picture at all so that's that so is interesting quite, yeah, it's a sharp it's a sharp distinction when i'm reading a, that is so rare because i don't read about places i specific places that i know that often that when i am it's like oh this must be how people <laughs> feel all the time when they're <laughs> putting together their composite picture of the dalmatian coast <laughs> etc yeah having a wonderful time yeah yeah <laughs> um so yeah the places you've you've lived in how many of those are commonly in books well i mean london in general is always in books yes, as, yeah. um as is new york actually and when i was living there i read a lot of books set in new york and i enjoyed that because the thing is i think what's quite different about new york as opposed to london is that you don't get a lot of um history in new york in terms of buildings are are knocked down a lot more than they are in london um, because there's just no space especially on manhattan island um so when you're reading 19th century novels set in new york for example i mean none of those houses exist anymore um and they're replaced by um you know skyscrapers and stuff um so that was quite interesting to read about the streets I, I knew as being, you know, huge glass blocks were, were once brownstones where people lived and things. And so I used to really enjoy um, doing that and sort of mapping things out and going and visiting places and understanding more how it evolved as a city over time. Um, and I think I still do enjoy reading stuff set in New York because I know I, I kind of still remember. And I, I do go back fairly frequently. So um, I enjoy that experience. And it just takes me back to being there and I it gives me a sort of warm fuzzy feeling you know mm-hmm. um and i love books set in london even in bits of london i don't know because it's always it's just the kind of you know i know what you mean about saying it's difficult to feel at home in a city when the city's so large you can't possibly know all of it i mean i've lived in london practically all my life i've born mm. and bred which is not common i might add yeah. um and um People, when I say, when people say to me, where are you from? And I say, I'm from London. And they no, where are you really from? No, where were you <laughs> I was actually born in London. And I did actually grow up in London. Um, and I think it's, it's a kind of a general just enjoyment of, I think there's a certain element of 
sameness about London neighbourhoods and the experience of being in different parts of London that makes it it doesn't stop me from feeling a sense of connection to it if it's not set in my part of London if you see what yeah, I mean. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um and I remember growing up one of my um one of the books that had a really profound impact on me was The Buddha of Suburbia by Hanif Qureshi, which was very popular back in the nineties and early two mm. thousands. Um and that's set in the suburb southeast london suburb that was sort of the next one over from mine that i used to get the bus to to go shopping mm-hmm. um and I, that was the first time i read a book and in a set in a place like a set in you know where i knew um well and his experience and how he felt about because it's sort of semi-autobiographical i think really um about growing up in the suburbs of london those ones that are in the south of london as well where we don't have tube stations that our only way of getting around was the bus it does feel quite separate to other suburbs of london mm, mm. where you did feel more kind of metropolitan i suppose whereas the southeast london suburbs certainly in my experience you really didn't feel like you lived in london at all it was kind of like this weird hinterland of just boringness um and reading that and reading about what he had to say about all these places that I knew, I was just like, yes, exactly how I feel. And I finally I've found someone else who can articulate yeah. <laughs> this experience. And I just love that book because of that. Um, and I, I love reading books now about, you know, people navigating London and what it's what it's like sometimes feeling so small and invisible in a city that's so big, but then at other times feeling so intimate and, um, you know, like it's very villagey London in many ways. I know that's, <laughs> that's my le- least favorite yeah. thing that people say. Yeah, <laughs> but it is. Isn't it? Um, so someone, well, you have lived in a village, I guess. So yeah, I have you're... lived in a village. Yeah, um, and it is. You know, like all of us in our blo- my block of flats, we all know each other, and you know, we all help each other out. I see the same people walking to work every day. We all say hello to each other. You know, it's my street is actually lots of people have lived on my street forever, so everybody's always stopping and chatting. Um, Rachel lives in a musical number from the beginning of her yes. film. People just like she she dances past the florist on the corner. She <laughs> swings from a lamppost, wink, winks at a dog. It's all yeah, it's all there. I mean, that is my life. <laughs> um, but it's true, you know. It's kind of, it is like that. Everyone's always stopping and chatting, and it's and it is nice. I mean, I didn't have that experience in in other neighbourhoods I've lived in, but I think because this one is. Um, is quite established in terms of that it's it's mainly sort of families and older people who live here rather mm. than people who are renting if you see what i mean mm. um most people here own their own homes so it's not as i think some parts of london can feel quite lonely and isolated because they're peripatetic you know everybody's mm-hmm. always moved and, and but there are also novels that do explore that element of london life as well the fact that everybody's always moving you don't know anyone it's very lonely um you know, there's some really good short stories by elizabeth taylor that and um, also elizabeth bowen that look at london in the 50s and 60s boarding houses um mm. the windrush generation of people coming over and, and how lonely and alone people can feel living in those kind of bedsits and things like that um and yeah so it's you can read about so many different experiences in in london and again over time as well and understanding what was it like because i mean my parents always said growing up oh gosh london in the 70s and 80s was disgusting um and you know places like notting hill for example where you now can't buy a house for less than you know several million pounds Mm. my parents oh no that was like a no-go zone um and reading books now i see that they were right you know just a few years ago areas of the city now that are so gentrified and so lovely you read about them 
you know, in the 70s and 80s and people, the way that they're described is just completely different. So you get that real sense of social history as well, which I find really interesting. And because I know the streets, I know the neighbourhoods now, I can make those comparisons. So I do love reading books set in London. Um, I haven't really read that many books set in Kent. Jane Austen's characters go to Kent sometimes. Yes, yeah. Jane Austen knew um, Kent well. She actually um, visited several of the places around where my family lived because her, um, her uncle was a vicar there um so yeah there's um lady catherine de berg's house is a short walk from my parents house um which is though you can't get to it because it's now government property the one it's based on of course not where it actually is from the book yes yes i'm sorry thank you for the clarification um and just trying to think of other books i mean i can't think of anything else that's sort of set in kent that's made me think oh lovely kent yeah i mean the canterbury tales i guess but um, yeah, tricky. Kent is actually the largest county in the UK in terms of population mm-hmm. um, and it's very big for those of uh, you listening who aren't familiar and so Canterbury for example it would take you over an hour on the train to get to Canterbury from where my parents live in Kent that's oh, how far it makes it so I don't know Canterbury very well at all I've only been a few times yeah wow. I like what you were saying about how even if you don't know the area in London for example that you can um appreciate novels about you have some empathy with novels yeah. set in those places because i think that's more what i go into it for in terms of identifying with the sort of place somewhere someone lives like if i read a novel where someone lives in a vicarage i feel mm-hmm. a lot closer to that than about if people were writing about parts of oxfordshire that i've not lived in for example oh okay yeah uh, or if yeah um, or, you know, I haven't really read many things about living in house shares or being a student. And I wouldn't read any novels featuring students whilst I was a student because it made me so stressed. That's like, I should be <laughs> writing my, my thesis. I can't read something. I can't read a campus novel or anything like that. But um, now I do a bit more, I guess. But yeah, I think the feeling of, re- of, of a book set in a village um, it matters more to me than being able to visualise a particular village, perhaps. I just transport them all to this village, you know, if, if possible. Um, so that's how it, yeah, the, the sense of otherness or, or, or reading something foreign for me can be a foreign country, but I think I'd feel more or less as foreign if I was reading about someone living in a, you know, tower block in London uh, than I would someone, if, more than if, if they were living in a village in Italy, for example. How interesting. Yeah, I just, you I know, mean, I, I love reading about foreign places and I love, because I love traveling and, um, I, I tend to have kind of idealised visions of other places. Um, I have a very active imagination. And, yeah, I, I sometimes will particularly read books that are set in places I haven't been to because I'll, I'll want to read about the place and then think, oh, you know, then maybe I'll go there. Um, so I have read lots of books set in um, Italy and France, um, which are two of my favourite countries to go and visit. Um, I also really love books set in in America and Canada. I love those kind of like wide open prairie spaces, um, places that are very different, landscapes that are very different to English landscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, I haven't really, I, I guess one thing I haven't really done is I haven't sort of read a lot of books set in Africa or books set in um, Australia or New Zealand. And I think it's because I haven't, um, well, I have been to South Africa, but it's not the same as the rest of Africa, really. Um, certainly Cape Town, I don't think, can be taken as representative. Um, and I guess maybe I would find it harder to imagine 
the places because I've never been in in those kind of landscapes, like the, the very hot, very arid landscapes. Um, so yeah, I think I like to read books set in countries. Well, I've visited the country, but I, maybe I hasn't, haven't visited all of it. So I can kind of imagine what the place might look like, but there's still lots of new details for me to get excited about, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. And yeah, again, I think I'm more about how the people feel there and what sort of communities they are. And, you know, just as I don't picture people's faces and I'm more interested in their attributes, I guess <laughs> it's the it's, it's same, same thing. Because uh, I'm thinking, what, what have I read? I mean, I've read um, a few books set in Nigeria and... Um, Kenya I think and I read a book in Mauritania recently and for those I was definitely more about those are all books by people who've lived in those countries and or off I think in fact maybe all from those countries um so they weren't describing the scenery as a tourist or anything like that um so I was more about immersing in those different cultures so for example reading about someone living in a tribe in Mauritania felt extremely foreign to me Mm. um whereas Chumandarin goes Yidichi he's talking about someone going being at university in Nigeria obviously still quite different from my university experience but a lot more overlap um, felt felt much more familiar even albeit in a many cultural things that are not familiar to me but closer to home than than people in a Bedouin tribe interesting yeah, yeah. um so familiar or unfamiliar I can't remember actually how we phrase this topic but whichever of those two well how have you described it which one are you going to choose <laughs> Um, it's tough. There's so much pleasure to be had from either, really, to be honest. Um, discovering new places, retracing steps of familiar ones. Um, hmm. I don't know what I think I'll go with familiar because of that little sense of thrill that you get when you yeah. recognize a place. Um, yeah. What about you? Yes, I'm going to say the same. Um, and, because of, it's only really happened the once. Although actually, there was that book about butterflies or moths or something that was set in Krukan, which is near where my parents lived before they retired. So that was quite exciting. Although they claimed it, <laughs> they said in the book it was in Dorset, which I was very cross about. Never did that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's happened to me so seldom. But if anyone knows any books set around the Persia or Evesham area of Worcestershire, <laughs> then I would love to read them, um, however good or bad they are. Uh, yeah, great. Um, we do have a question from Matthew for the middle oh. section. I can't remember if this is one we've answered before, but if it is, we can do it again, which basically is um, Stella Gibbons. Do we like her? What would you recommend by her? I don't think we have talked about this before. Oh, excellent. Um, I would say my phrase for describing Stella Gibbons is hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have very much enjoyed several of her novels, and then others I have found to be really quite awful so um cold comfort farm is obviously her most famous and it, i think is very funny um i also really enjoyed um westwood yes. which ties in very nicely with that oh yes of course yeah. because it's set in highgate where i used to live so i loved reading that and i actually read it when i lived there so i i loved um knowing exactly where it all was and that was very exciting um i also i think enjoyed no, I didn't enjoy The Matchmaker, and I can't remember now why I didn't. But I don't think other people would agree with me on that, because I remember reading at the time, and a few other bloggers said that they really liked it, so I might just be okay. on my own there. Um, yes, I w- would describe her as someone who is almost brilliant quite a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Cold Comfort Farm is, is wonderful, as you say. It's it's uh, it's 
uh, as a satire of of rural novels it's sort of quite different from the rest of her books and does really stand alone and i think deservedly perhaps the best known of the ones i've read certainly i did really like westwood um it didn't i don't know it wasn't quite a you know a five-star read for me but i did really enjoy it um, the first half of Bassett, I absolutely loved about two spinsters setting up a guest house together. I mean, could be written for me, but then the second half became much more about a love triangle with these other characters that I found quite boring. Mm-hmm. And that was a shame. Here Be Dragons is the only other one I've read, I think, which, um, again, had some fun moments. I really enjoyed the sections about someone becoming a waitress. That was really done really interestingly, but overall, I remember not being super impressed. Um, but there's so many others that, uh, oh, oh, Nightingale Wood, I read that one recently. Um, I forgot about that. that I, I did really enjoy that, actually. The cover was dreadful, but, but the book was good. Yes, the cover was, I mean, but somebody, who was, is it Vintage who republished late, so, pretty, pretty much yeah. all of them? So Vintage done quite a lot. And in fact, Dean Street Press, Foreign Riddle Rise Series, are just about to do some of the much harder ones to get. Oh, in fact, really? they maybe have just come out. Um, so, uh, I, some titles I haven't even heard of. And Virago have done some, so it's it's very scattered amongst different publishers. But um, yeah, if I was going to pick pick one of hers to read after Carcumber Farm, I think it definitely would be Westwood. Yeah, I think that's the strongest of the lesser known ones that I've read. Great, hope that helps, Matthew. Um, how nice of a man ask a question for mm-hmm. once on the podcast. Very unusual. <laughs> Not unusual for life. But um, <laughs> right, uh, second half, two novels by Elizabeth von Arnhem, but I think she wrote sequentially. I think right. it's 19, 1929 for Expiation and 1931 for Father, maybe. Oh, right, what a coincidence. Almost yeah. as if we planned it, but obviously. I know, but obviously we did that. not. Um, I'm just going to check that because Expiation felt earlier, but I think. Um, Why is doing that though? Is there, is there one you'd like to introduce us to? Um, I will do um, Father, because I just finished it. Excellent. And I've just checked. Expiration is 1929, and they were next to each other. Oh, there, there we go. Um, shall I go first, then, in yeah, chronological okay. order? Go for it. Um, oh, I can't remember any of the names in it. So Expiation, Millie. Expiation is about Millie, who, um, as the novel opens, has just become a widow. Uh, she has married into this large, sprawling family of... Um, some single sisters and some married brothers and the and the mother of all of them is still alive as well um and she's been in this marriage for many many years that we don't see that much about and um in the opening pages that her husband's will is being read and he it was a very wealthy man uh everyone's expecting her to to um have a successful future they all admire and admire her think she's a moral pinnacle uh, but in the will, he leaves her only £1,000 and all the rest goes to a charity for fallen women. Everyone's outraged on it, what he might have been implying from beyond the grave. And it turns out that he was right, that she has been having an affair for a very long time. Um, with a man called Arthur, I think. Uh, what a romantic name. Mm-hmm. Um, and the novel basically follows her... Uh, what happens to her after that? How she they want her to go and live with them in turn. She decides to go off and find her sister, who was who's sent off from the home from uh, many years ago for for sleeping with someone before she married him. Um, it's about how she deals with that revelation and her her attempts to f- to expiate. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. To you. So, father um, is about Jennifer and. 
her father, her relationship with her father at the beginning of the book. Um, she's in her 30s, she's 33, she's very much on the shelf, yes. an old spinster. Um, and her mother has died several years before, and she promised her mother on her deathbed that she would look after father. And father happens to be a terribly narcissistic um, author, not particularly successful. Well, he's, he's very um, praised by the critics, but no one actually mm. reads his books. Um, <laughs> and it's Jennifer's job to basically be his unpaid secretary, housekeeper, etc. And her father actually has no affection for her whatsoever, but because he finds her useful, he cannot imagine his life without her until the day when at the beginning of the book he comes home with a wife that he has not mentioned before um and it's some poor teenage girl that he's picked up on a bus um (laughs) and jennifer takes this as her opportunity to finally be free because now um netta who's the wife has come along she sees that actually you know she doesn't need to be there anymore she's finally got an excuse to go so she um, has a little bit of an income from her, her mother. I love how all of these characters have got, you know, a few hundred pounds a year just yes. coming in from some investment. Somewhere, yeah. yeah. Um, and so she goes straight off with a copy of the Church Times for Sussex, given to her <laughs> by the cook, and rents herself a cottage um, in ridiculous circumstances in the Sussex countryside. Um, and then her adventures go from there. Lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Um well, let's start with um, reveal what you thought of Father. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Actually, um, it's what it kind of felt more like an Elizabeth went on in than Expiation did to me, um, mm. which felt quite different from maybe some of the others I've read. I really loved the character of Jennifer. I thought she was wonderful, and um, I also thought the characterization of Father was was very well done. That depiction of this kind of you know 19th century throwback patriarch who sees women as being useful to him um and i mm. loved the the fact that i mean i don't know how much i should say because i don't want to ruin the plot but um i i love the fact that you know everything doesn't work out in the way that he he thinks it will and he's outraged basically at jennifer daring to want a life of her own um he cannot see why a woman would have, want anything other than to serve a man. Um, and I, I also just love the, there's just such an array of funny characters. So when she moves to the village, she rents the cottage off a vicar, James and his sister, Alice. Um, and the dynamic between those siblings and also Alice is, is another spinster. Um, he stayed at home to look after her, her brother after her mother died and, um there's they, that depiction of of spinsterhood and i mean the novel's set as in its contemporary time so in the 20s and early 30s that I, idea of a woman you know having no ability to go out and do things for herself and, and jennifer is looked upon with you know great distrust as this eccentric he's dared to come to the village and to to live by herself and to do this by by alice who really who thinks that, you know, what is this woman? And actually doesn't realise, I suppose, that she's in the same position as herself. And I guess the the kind of bitterness that boils inside of Alice is is quite painful to read, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and But at the same time, sad to think, you know, that's what so many women were reduced to. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um 
she's this ogre who, in, in many ways, who is very controlling of her mm-hmm. brother, who, who shouts bosh any time he tries uh, to... I, to uh, I was like, ah, every time she said that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Whenever he tries to, you know, have any independence. Um, and I think she's so clever upon Arnim at, at gradually revealing that while she is the dominant person in you know in everyday conversation she's very much the dependent person mm. in that in that household and if her brother were to get married she would have to leave and um it's quite yeah quite telling that i certainly i never liked her but you gradually grow more sympathetic for her i think yeah you um, do and i think you know she she main she has that demeanor and she behaves in the way she does because she doesn't ever want to admit how vulnerable she is Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you already, already know because I have chosen this book for the British Library series mm-hmm. that I love it, <laughs> so that won't come as a surprise. And the thing I love about it, which you, you mentioned first off, is I just love Jennifer. Yeah. She is um, so spirited and naive, but, but um, determined at the yeah. same time. Um, she often she gets herself into ridiculous situations. The first interview the vicar who doesn't yeah. rent her a cottage where was he wearing his coat or yeah. something throughout. It's so funny, um, and at the same time you still you know she's in all these funny situations and yet you're always aware that she is vulnerable, that she is dependent on the good opinion of men she's just met for getting anywhere. Um, I think that's one of the main differences between these books for me and that so but on him often writes very funny books, often writes very melancholy books, and sometimes along the way. And both these books are about women who have to deal with, have to be independent on not very much money. Mm. Um, But Expiation doesn't try to be funny at all. No. Um, And I find that she's capable of being just as poignant and just as profound in books where she is being funny as when she isn't. Very much so. so you don't lose anything in Father by it being funny. It still has so much to say. And I just felt an expiation. You got some interesting stuff about, you know, her trying to say things about um, the morality expected of women and how she can cope in- as an independently, and especially when her sister comes on, that like, you know, the comparison between their lives. But I did find it dragged a bit because it's it's not funny. It's not trying to be funny. It's... No, just, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit, strangely bit, yeah. worthy, wasn't it? And yeah. I just didn't really feel that I believed any of it. That's what bothered me about the whole story. You know, Millie saying, you know, I've got to make amends for what I've done. I was like, but what did you do that was that bad? I just didn't really, you know, I just didn't buy it as a as a thing. And I didn't really also buy the fact that um, with the sister, the her relationship with her sister didn't sit right with me. And... Yeah, it was interesting that how we were doing a sport too much, but okay. it, that that relationship is a very fragile one. Yeah. It seems. <laughs> um, I don't think in fact, it didn't feel like a proper sister relationship to me. No, I mean, I just thought the whole book was. It, it felt a bit like it should have been a nineteenth-century novel. Yeah, I think that's why I was surprised it was nineteen twenty-nine because it feels at the ver- like Edwardian at the very latest. Mm. Yeah, it just felt old-fashioned. Um, the one character I did love, who sadly wasn't there as much as I'd hoped, was the the owner of the boarding house. Yes, I was going to say that she was the best character, the one who. Glorious. um, I always love boarding house matrons in novels. Um, and the way that she forced Millie to take the room, I just thought that is a businesswoman. She knows exactly what she's doing. (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't let them escape. And I thought, (laughs) yeah, when they got there, 
my heart just leapt with joy when they went to a boarding house and I'm like finally the novel gets going and I loved all the boarding house stuff but we're just yeah. not there for very long no I mean the yeah. whole novel should have just been set in the boarding house it would have been oh better. my gosh I'd have loved that yeah I but, don't think she's done a boarding house novel that I can think of no or she should have done she should be Barbara Pym territory I think yeah or, um and yeah, I felt the second half of the novel just felt tacked on when she starts going round the different relatives, and there's so many relatives, and I'd forgotten who they all were by the time they came back and had to <laughs> sort them out again. Um, so, I mean, I didn't dislike the novel, really. I mean, I just, I think I was just disappointed about the sort of book it could have been. Um, I just didn't see the point yeah. in it, to be perfectly honest. I just thought, this is mm. a book that literally has no point. And I was surprised, because, you know, Persephone is normally a very good a chooser of books and normally when you know i look at the list of persephone books i can i will know that i will like the books there's a sort of shared taste there but Mm -hmm. there was a lot of talk when this came on their website and stuff about this being her finest novel and you know an undiscovered Mm. gem or something like really i don't see any of this in here i was really quite surprised yeah i have found i mean obviously you know i love persephone but i have found that often if there's an author who does light-hearted or funny things and earnest things that they definitely yeah. will leap to the earnest things like yeah. i always think the ex- example of the last poor lady by rachel ferguson which i really like but it's so much more earnest than every other book she ever wrote um, i mean if there's one quality i dislike the most in anyone it's earnestness it's yeah particularly in a novel i find it an obstacle and that's you know the, the times i've not liked persephone books which isn't pretty rare is when they lean too hard into that mm-hmm. and as i say like i got I think there was more of a social commentary in Father. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and one that was more powerful because you cared about the characters. And mm-hmm. there was that emotional, I suppose, subtlety in a way that expiation just felt like you were being whacked around the head the whole time with, you know, oh, isn't she, isn't she worthy? Isn't she good? And everything else. I was just like, I don't really care. And also she, you know, what I really hated the most was the fact that she was always described as, as being kind of like poor little Millie with her sort of white plump hands. There's nothing I hate yes. more in a novel <laughs> oh. than the description of a woman with plump white hands oh, and with yeah. on. I just think, oh, I just, oh. And it comes up really often, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, it just makes me shudder. Um, and in fact, I'll just read, if I may, a quote from Father, which I put in the afterword that I, I really liked. Um, her writing throughout it, I think, is wonderful, but this, I think, really gets the passion at the centre of it. Um, here's the quote. Through and beyond Father, she saw doors flying open, walls falling flat, and herself running unhindered down the steps, along Gower Street, away through London, across suburbs, out, out, into great sunlit spaces. Yeah, and I, I think that's... That. Yeah, I just... I mean, I love... Um, somebody who wants to escape to the countryside that's you know very close to my heart as well but the way she wrote about it the way she did spatial metaphor in the book and all that sort of thing um i thought just done so well and interestingly she didn't like the novel that much um at least according to the biography of her i read she um i don't think she hated her or anything but she didn't think of it as one of her better books um which is yeah very intriguing because i think mistake yeah for me it's up there one of my very favourites of hers, if not my favourite. Yes, I would say so. I mean, I I will always love um, Elizabeth and the German Garden and The Enchanted April, but this is definitely one I would read again and again. And, Mm. you know, Expiation, I I just wouldn't at all. I just thought it was dire. Um, And I didn't really see what the point of it was. I was like, I don't actually understand what you're saying here. 
Um, it's true, and it felt like it felt like it was written in such a way that there was this major point, but 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 what was it? She just yeah. kept saying the word expiation no, <laughs> but, in but the narrative. What for? Like, why? What does she yeah. have to be sorry for? Her husband was a complete utter asshole. He paid her no attention. Um, so you know. And also didn't and knew, but didn't ever say anything to her about it. So I don't really see that she needed to apologise. Um, I just thought the whole thing was ridiculous. But the um, what I loved about Father was, you know, all of that kind of sense of what it means to have freedom as a woman, and the fact that mm. Jennifer was brave enough to just take it the minute she saw it in that moment where she's just filled with this trembling joy where she can barely even speak at the beginning of a novel she's like yes this mm. is my chance and I love that sense of going to the countryside and she talks doesn't she about how um, she's always wanted to, to, to grow things and the only opportunity she has to grow things is window boxes mm, mm, um, and mm. you really get that sense of entrapment um, she's they, she's on Gower Street which even today is you know a very dingy road it's <laughs> quite a big with a lovely water stain a lovely water stains but it's very sort of in the summer, it's horrible. It's really dusty. Um, and I just thought I could imagine exactly what it must have felt like to live on that street and to have, you know, dust and dirt in your house the whole time and no ability to go anywhere. And, you know, her walking and she walks 10 miles from the station and she's like, oh, my feet hurt, but never mind. You should just keep yeah. going. And that lovely spirit she has. And I thought you, um, your afterword was excellent in exploring that. Thank you. Um, the idea of the surplus woman and looking at these women who didn't have the opportunity to get married and what were the options open to them and um both alice and jennifer you see very different attitudes and very different ways of coping with that situation and again she does it's not like expiation where it's like this is an issue and we're going to talk about this issue the whole <laughs> way through you know, that's not what you know it's not heavy-handed but you completely understand it and you sympathize but it's as you say it's because of the humor and Elizabeth von Arnim is such a funny writer and there's just literally no humour in expiation at all. Apart from I did think in the description of the man that um, she has the affair with. Yeah, and I thought I, I did like how um, how passionless the affair was yes. or had become. I thought that was you know quite interesting and re I don't know, maybe realistic. I haven't had a an affair. But um, it's, yeah, I thought it was a nice twist on the on what it might otherwise have been, but made the idea of expiation even more <laughs> unrelated. But Well, yes, but, uh, I also just thought, well, you know, she's not even really had an affair, let's face it. I mean, they're not, they don't do anything. So <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's, um, and I just thought the whole thing just felt very sad. I just thought, well, what a wasted life. And also what a waste of my bloody time. And being <laughs> Yeah, um, I certainly will not be rereading Expiation, I, 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 but um, I have reread Father several times. It's just, I mean, I think as I, as I said, it's as and if you as you said, it is her spirit. It, that mm -hmm. character is so wonderful, and Millie just does not have spirit no. at all. She um, just has not all about hands. her sister might be quite just plump hands and rings, <laughs> um, <laughs> and traipses to and from solicitors' offices. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a massive surprise which of the two we're going to pick. <laughs> but just to confirm it, I will be going with Father. Yes, well, likewise. And yes. it was a very enjoyable discovery for me, actually. Um, and yes, so I'm pleased that I, I read that. I was a bit apprehensive after having read Expiation. I thought, oh, oh gosh, this back yes. catalogue of Elizabeth von Arnim, is it going to be worth reading? But um, yes. So 
So um, just a question, because I'm sure lots of other people mm. will be wondering. So um, we've talked about a couple of the British women writers um, titles on here now. Um, if you had to pick a third one that people mm. should get to quicker than the others, which one would you recommend? Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity of answering that question. Mm. Um, it would be Dangerous Ages by Rose McCauley. Oh, okay. Um, those are the, the two we've done, and that one of my three three favourites from the seven so far. And what I really like about the Rose McCauley one as a novel for the British Library series is that it looks at women, it's, it's published in 20, 1921, and looks at women in their 20s, 40s, 60s, and 80s. Oh, how interesting. In different generations of the same family. Yeah, and some of them are, are, are concerned with things that are very much of that moment. So there's one who gets very into Freudianism. There's another who's debating free love. But then the, the woman in her 40s is looking at re-entering the workplace as, as a medical doctor oh. after re- raising children. I mean, that couldn't be more relevant to 2020s, could it? It's, well, no. Yeah. Um, so something's really timeless. Um, it's, and also Rose McCauley, at her best, is just an extraordinary writer. She's, again, a bit of a hit-and-miss writer, but um, those books she did in the 20s um, others keeping up appearances in crew train others from that period that I think are brilliant Potterism that just got reprinted by Handheld Press she was really on fire in the 20s with these funny books that quite like Father, funny books that had something to say about the society at the time, so yeah that's one I'd, I'd suggest oh, wonderful, okay, I'll have to get it on Kindle Do you can read me talking about Freudianism in the end Okay. <laughs> great um, I think uh, we said for the next episode, Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo and Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. Oh, yes. And yay, because I've already read both of them. You've done. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the enormous... I mean, they're both quite long, but I've I've also read Girl, Woman, Other, but i got to pick up the chunks of it is Life After Life. But you know that you're just going to fly through it. It's so good. Oh, I'm excited. Um, be a good project. And um don't know how much those books have in common but i guess we'll find out we will we always do in the end don't we yes <laughs> uh, all the books and authors that we've mentioned are at stuckinabook.com you can find rachel at booksnob.wordpress.com and if you'd like to ask a question or give any suggestions you can get us at tea or books at gmail.com thanks very Love much you. for listening everyone thanks for listening. bye bye, bye. bye. bye.